Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi, and I'm joined once again by our international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. How's it going, Zofia? Yeah, going good. Great to be on again. Twice in two weeks. That's exciting. Thank you for, for joining. Um, this week, we've got a couple of fun things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Adidas and how they're recovering from the, the great Yeezy fiasco of 2022 and 2023. Um which has caused a ton of headache for them, but uh, there was some news this week about sort of how they've been handling it. Um, we're going to talk about TikTok Shop and how they're getting into uh, authentication and authenticating some of the vintage and luxury stuff that is sold there. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about the bankruptcy of a major lab-grown diamond manufacturer, and we'll get into a little bit about what's going on in the diamond space, um, which I find super interesting. But let's start with Adidas. So obviously, they had this huge issue with Kanye West and the Yeezy brand last year uh, in which Kanye um, randomly just went super anti-Semitic and said a bunch of horrible stuff. Uh, everyone knows this. I don't have to recount it, but you know what I mean? He he really just tanked the whole uh, deal, not just with him and Adidas, but with him and all of his other brands and with basically his whole career. It was a whole big deal. Um, but at the end of it, Adidas had about $1 billion worth of Yeezy sneakers just lying around. And over the last year, they kind of weighed a bunch of different options of what to do with it. They talked about just kind of like dumping it. They talked about donating them. They talked about selling them. They ended up selling them. And uh, it was going to be a loss for them no matter what. But this week, it came out that it actually, I think, has worked out uh, not as bad for them as maybe they were first fearing. I think the original forecast was that they were going to have a loss of around $700 million this year. Um, they revised that earlier this year to a $450 million loss. Um, and then this week, they revised it down again to a $100 million loss, um, which is definitely, I mean, $100 million loss is not great, but it is so much better than the original $700 million forecast. So it seems like the the selling off that uh, inventory, and I think they donated a big portion of that to various charitable causes, um, did work out for them. Uh, I feel like Adidas got really lucky because they were able to mitigate these losses like pretty pretty substantially. And then right around the same time as the Yeezy brand was collapsing, which was like 7% of their revenue, so a pretty big chunk, um, I feel like they kind of hit it big with a bunch of other stuff. The Samba suddenly got really huge right around the same time. So they kind of lucked out a little bit, I think. Um, probably could have been a lot worse than it looks like it's ending up being. Um, anyway, I've been talking for a while. Zofia, what are your thoughts on how Adidas has kind of handled this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think they've handled it very well. And I'm wondering, you know, where they were able to sell the easy stock to because obviously there must be some demand somewhere for it if they're still able to um, offload that in terms of their own brand. But yeah, you're right. I think the, the rise of the popularity and other models from the main line definitely mitigated some of that impact from Yeezy. And I think that they've kind of effectively maybe switch their marketing to focus on some of those other models and big them up um, so as not to kind of lose out on that easy share that was previously so big. I still see people like wearing them around a lot, so I don't think they're quite zeroed out. Um, I think the product is probably still popular even if the creator isn't. Yeah, actually, I I've, I've, have seen the same thing and I have had the same feeling kind of at the time where... Um, the companies don't want to be associated with him anymore, but I feel like there's a good amount of consumers who don't care, frankly, mm -hmm. um, which is not great. But, you know, they're 
those shoes were so popular in the sneaker community and and kind of like in streetwear in general for so long. I think it's not gonna be shaken that easily. Um, I'm pretty sure there's still a, a sizable collector's market for them and everything. And I think Adidas is mm-hmm. gonna. I think last time I checked, they're still gonna keep making some of the designs or at least some of similar designs, just not under the Yeezy name anymore. Um, so I do think mm-hmm. even just the product itself, aside from like, I think there's people who still put value on the name and and the brand of Yeezy. But even aside from that, it feels like the product itself is still kind of well-liked. It's well-constructed and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I definitely see that. Kanye himself, I feel like I have sensed a little bit of a trying to sneak back into the culture. You know, he's got a new album coming out. Like, I feel like I hear about him more. There was a several month period where it was just radio silence. And I don't know if that's uh, gonna work <laughs> uh, and or if it should, but I, I feel like I've slowly been like hearing more about what he's up to. Um, but I don't know, I still feel like even if he kind of comes back in a musical sense, I feel like the fashion days might be over, you know? Yeah, I'd say it's a it's a never say never situation. Um, fashion has always had a bit of a goldfish memory with those kind of things. If you give it enough time, um, I reckon there will be a comeback of some sort. And yeah, there'll be definitely a lot of backlash when that happens. Um, yeah. But probably still some products that will sell. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> goldfish memory, I think, is a great way to describe it. And I think that applies not just to fashion. There's oftentimes when somebody gets quote unquote canceled, I know that's a loaded term, mm. it's it's just honestly a matter of laying low for a year or two and then suddenly they're back. Um, not saying that's a good thing, but I do think that happens uh, quite regularly. Um, but I still think there's some residual anger. I mean, I think Kanye just had a concert appearance canceled uh, mm. recently. And, you know, I don't think people have totally forgotten. But yeah, I can I can sense that uh, given another year or two, people might just kind of forget about it, which is kind of the way, you know, the whole cycle of the media works. So we'll see. But I definitely think Adidas, you know, to bring it back to Adidas, I think they've made the best out of this situation. um, And it could have been a lot worse. And it looks like they've kind of just skirted by it a little bit, thanks to, you know, figuring out what to do with all that inventory and then hitting it pretty big with some other stuff right around the same time. Um, Let's talk about TikTok. Uh, So TikTok Shop launched recently, which everybody knows about. But this week they announced, um, TikTok announced that they're going to start working with a company called Entropy to verify and authenticate vintage handbags that are sold on TikTok Shop. TikTok Shop. Did I say that right? I think so. It's kind of like a tongue twister. (laughs) Um, Entropy is not going to have its own shop. It's sort of just integrated into the TikTok Shop platform, um, and they're going to verify you know, various vintage stuff. I think it's just handbags to begin with, although I know that Entropy, uh, the company, can, I believe, verify sneakers as well. I remember going to see a tech demonstration from them several years ago that was just in like a WeWork, and they showed me this uh, technology that they used to verify sneakers, but it seems like the TikTok shop uh, partnership is mostly focused on bags. Um, I've got my thoughts on this. I'll let you start those, Sophia. What are your thoughts on TikTok shop and kind of how they're using authentication? Um, I mean, I'm not surprised that um, they partner with Entropy just because of the AI aspect that's involved. Um, you know, so much of social media sales are kind of dependent on 
verification and kind of making sure that it's coming from the right source. And TikTok especially, I think, has had some real issues with that. Um, I know that there's been some issues on the beauty side already, um, as those are the kind of products that are mostly out on TikTok shop right now. And that's also why there's been a kind of reticence from fashion brands to get involved on the platform. Um, I think especially with, you know, different third party um, sellers, you know, whether that's Amazon um, or elsewhere, it's quite hard to get that trust um, from customers and also from brands. So I think that vintage is one way that they're trying to kind of get around that and still be able to sell things um, and then have this kind of AI backed um, authenticator to make sure that those items are legitimate. And I think that that's been a growing issue in terms of the rise of different fake items. You know, that has been already an issue on Amazon. On TikTok, I believe that there's a lot of products where the kind of uh, country of origin is a little bit um, unknown. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's again, that same question here, you know, how much can you trust a seller on TikTok? And is that kind of trust going to grow with these kind of backing? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think the um, various social commerce platforms like Instagram Shop or TikTok Shop, they're a little bit of a Wild West kind of place, which is crazy Mm. because these companies are so huge. And yet I think they kind of have a reputation for being, you know, a little sketchy sometimes. Who who are these sellers? Where is this stuff coming from? You mentioned beauty. And I was actually just reading our former colleague, Liz Flora, who's now at Business of Fashion, wrote a great story. Uh, about this exact thing that the beauty stuff on TikTok shop is uh, a little shady. There's dupes and knockoffs of Dior-like face oil, and there's unverified or unlicensed listings of like Olaplex stuff that I'm pretty sure the brand is like not in on. Um, it's kind of a wacky place, and and I sort of think that any kind of marketplace, like Amazon is uh, structured the same as a marketplace, and they've been dealing with issues like this for years. Um, mm. And the, you know, sketchy listings and counterfeits and all sorts of stuff, but they're so huge and they kind of like, they use the defense of, you know, we're doing our best and our platform is so huge and we try to remove stuff. But because they just let anybody sell stuff and and the bar to start selling is pretty low, it's just inevitable that stuff like this slips in, you know? So it's a little bit surprising to me, maybe not surprising, but it seems like a lot of the new marketplaces or social commerce platforms like TikTok Talk Shop are immediately kind of running into the same problems that, you know, other marketplaces that have, have been facing for, for years now. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting, again, to kind of focus on that vintage aspect. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of people who would go to TikTok to buy vintage. Um, I know that there's a younger kind of demographic there who is probably interested in buying secondhand. And I've seen some kind of um, sellers who have had success kind of doing um curated kind of assortments of secondhand clothing for customers on TikTok. And they grow a very kind of dedicated and loyal following. But it's very different when you're actually dealing with brand or branded products. Um, And I think with vintage, like that is especially important. Like most of the value is going to be associated with that brand, whether it's legitimate and, you know, whether it's made out of the materials that it says made out of. So I think having that AI aspect, I'm not even sure if that would be enough 
to authenticate it, but they do seem to have a very high accuracy rate. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that will actually help with that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I kind of think the marketplaces are sort of caught between two sort of poles where on the one hand, they want to make it as open as possible and let as much through as possible because that's more sales volume and you know that's good for them. Uh, but at the same time, they don't want to alienate the brands. You know, if if Dior finds out that there's knockoffs of you know their stuff on uh, TikTok shop, that makes them less likely to want to work with TikTok. And again, like the exact same thing that we've seen with Amazon, where a lot of brands for years, especially kind of luxury or higher end brands, were hesitant to work with Amazon because there's so much you know counterfeit and knockoff stuff on there, and that's like not good for their brand management and all sorts of stuff. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how TikTok will address this. I, I brought up the, or you brought up the beauty thing, but I wanted to mention that again, just because Entropy just does bags. And like you said, it seems like that's the vintage stuff is maybe not the biggest category on TikTok shop. I'm sure it is, mm. uh, you know, a category. And I'm sure there are people who are buying and selling that. But it seems like a lot of beauty stuff, like kind of cheaper, lower end things. I don't know if you're a serious collector who cares about um, the authenticity of like a really expensive handbag, you're probably not going to buy it from TikTok shop anyway. Um, so maybe the idea is to try to bring more of those people in, but it seems like if they really wanted to kind of make it a more brand safe environment, they'd focus on, you know, some of those lower end, like cheap kind of stuff. I don't know. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing is that, uh, you know, TikTok shop is still pretty new. Um, They've had some roadblocks. Um, It's banned in Indonesia, I think, as of this week or last week. Um, But at the same time, I do think, like you mentioned, the younger younger consumers, a lot of Gen Z people, uh, are obviously all over TikTok. And I do think they are embracing it to some degree. There was a a stat I just saw that was like 48% of Gen Z is planning to do holiday shopping on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Maybe not all of it, but at least part of it. So they do have a huge audience. And... I'm sure that the on the consumer end, especially if you're just looking for cheap stuff quick, you probably don't care that much. But if they want to get the brands more involved, I feel like more stuff like working with Entropy and more kind of like brand safety is probably in order. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's actually more likely that some of those customers will be looking at those higher end or like more authenticated um, items on Instagram, which again, like I think Instagram shop just needed time to actually catch on. And I think it has in a bigger way now. There's been some um, data this week coming from Metrics that it's still one of the biggest platforms for media impact value. Um, and I think it's beating out TikTok in some ways. And I think it's mostly because of this aspect of it doesn't have those brand relationships. Um, you know, brands are less comfortable to sell on TikTok right now. Um, and I think that that's also going to be an aspect that Gen Z will see um, and be less interested in buying from um, for brand-specific items. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Okay, let's move on to our last topic. Um, wanted to talk about WD Lab Grown Diamonds. This is a company that probably... Most people don't know the name of, um, but it's a manufacturer of lab-grown diamonds. It's actually the second largest manufacturer in the world for lab-grown diamonds. And this week, they announced that they were filing for bankruptcy. Um, And I thought that was notable because I was just talking to um, somebody from Pandora Jewelry, which is a jewelry company uh, that 
you know, has gone pretty hard on lab-grown diamonds. And I was reading a bunch of stats about how the market is growing a lot. Um, I think sales of lab-grown diamonds were up 40% last year to uh, almost $12 billion total, I think. Um, so it's a huge industry. And yet at the same time, the second largest manufacturer is going bankrupt. Um, it's just interesting kind of topic. And uh, in terms of their reasoning, I mean, I was reading a, a good Financial Times story about this and they cited you know, some analysis from De Beers that was like, well, the lab-grown diamond companies are pushing the prices really low and they're like, it's gonna collapse the industry and all that kind of stuff, which is could be true. But I think one thing that makes it difficult to talk about this subject is there's so much money poured into discrediting lab-grown diamonds from the like mined diamond companies. Like De Beers has put millions of dollars into anti-lab-grown diamond advertising. So I'm like, not sure if I trust their <laughs> analysis. Like, of course they would say that lab-grown diamonds are like gonna collapse and it's like, you know, a bad thing. Um, so it makes it a little hard, I think, to, to wade through what's true and what's kind of diamond industry propaganda a little bit. Um, I don't know, what were your thoughts, Sophia? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely I agree. I think the diamond industry, you know, although the like engagement ring industry is relatively new, you know, the diamond industry is quite old and quite set in its ways. And again, it's one of those like long-standing industries that's been around forever and it hasn't really had any competition until now. Um, when you know sustainability and I guess the supply chain issues with um mine diamonds, there's so many um kind of components of diamond mining that have um, either ethical or um, human um, kind of implications that are very kind of dire. And I think with lab grown, that's always been something that, you know, isn't really a thing. Um, so it's always been a better um, selection for those who are more either climate conscious or think about human rights more. Um, so that has kind of led to an increase in popularity. And most recently, obviously, is the fact that, you know, lab-grown diamonds on the whole are mostly cheaper than real ones. Um, and for many people who are price sensitive right now, it's something that they're thinking about a lot. And it could make sense for them to buy a lab-grown diamond, which does look and, you know, in, in many ways can be exactly the same as a mined diamond um, for a fraction of that price. Um, but I would say that the the collapse of the manufacturers probably more just down to the fact that a lot of brands are doing this in-house now. I know that Pandora has a big manufacturing hub of its own. Um, I think there's more potential for brands to look at kind of developing a lab-grown diamond lab um, just because it makes sense, you know, for the long term to have something where they're able to access um, those diamonds quickly not have to pay for, you know, a premium. And I expect that, you know, pure lab-grown diamond manufacturers will probably not exist for too much longer. I would expect that a lot of brands would just take that and kind of run with it themselves. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I, I hadn't thought about that. I, I think another element is that a lot of lab-grown diamonds, it, it like lab-grown diamonds is separate from lab-grown diamond jewelry, because a lot of lab-grown diamonds are used for industrial purposes, making diamond tip tools and cutting implements mm. and stuff like that. So I think that's a that's a big portion of that industry is for industrial purposes. And then jewelry specifically is a much smaller but very rapidly growing part of that. So a company like WD, I think, 
you know, they make lab-grown diamonds for jewelry, but they also make lab-grown diamonds for the industrial process. It's a little hard to tell which side of that uh, business is where the trouble was for them. Um, there was not a lot of information at the mm -hmm. time we were recording. There's not a lot of information out there about why they were filing for bankruptcy exactly. Um, I do think the analysis from De Beers that lab-grown diamonds, because they're cheaper, kind of like pushes the price down of everything. Like, there's some merit to that, although I think it's, my feeling would be, that it would drive the price of mine diamonds down because now they have to compete with lab-grown diamonds. But lab-grown diamonds have been the same price. Like, you'd think that the companies that mm -hmm. are making it have already kind of factored in the price element and their their costs for making it into kind of their business plan. So it's not, it, it seems to me that that analysis that it drives the price of the diamond market down would be more affecting companies like De Beers or the other kind of big mine diamond companies. You know, does that make sense? No, definitely it does. And, you know, I think it's it's quite visible to see that there are these kind of um, ethical and sustainable kind of issues that these bigger diamond brands are, um, are seeing and addressing really quickly. Like there's been a flurry of activity around um, legislation, around supply chain tracking, and there's been like blockchain integration, um, just to kind of keep that customer and to showcase, you know, what actually we're not mining from areas that have, you know, a bad um, human kind of supply chain record or else have, you know, um, kind of more exploitative um, supply chain practices. So I think it's, yeah, it's it's quite clear that there is some kind of anti-lab-grown diamond propaganda, but there would also be a big kind of demand from it from, you know, younger customers. And I think maybe the traditional diamond industry was not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, final thought that I'll say, and then we'll wrap up, is, uh, again, when I was talking to Pandora um, last week, one thing that came up a lot was that the lab-grown jewelry sector is still pretty new. Um, again, like a lot of the companies that manufacture it have been making lab-grown diamonds for industrial purposes, but the jewelry sector specifically is pretty new, and it's still kind of finding its footing and how it's all going to balance out with the mine diamond industry and how those two will relate to each other. All that stuff is still kind of in flux, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of kind of chaos in the next couple of years, um, and then maybe the you know the two will find some sort of equilibrium. Um, but until then, I mean, I think you make you raise a really good point about brands bringing it in house, which I hadn't thought of, but. Um, yeah, we'll see where, where this goes. But uh, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Zofia, thank you so much for joining. It's always great having you on. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Great topics again. Um, for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this because that helps us out a lot. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you will hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and week interview episodes every Friday. Until then, thanks for listening.